You are Locked On Cowboys, your daily podcast on the Dallas Cowboys. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Cowboys podcast. I am your host, Landon McCool, and Marcus is not here today, as you can tell by me doing the intro awkwardly. Uh, <laughs> I am joined instead by a very, very special guest. Uh, he is... I would describe him as the godfather of Cowboys blogging. Uh, yeah, I, 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 well, you are, so you live up to it. Okay. <laughs> uh, 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 my good friend, Raphael Vela. Raphael, uh, Raf, uh, yes. please give everyone uh, your, uh, a little background on, on your history with the Cowboys and, and blogging on the Cowboys and, and, and where you are now. And just tell everyone about yourself. Okay. Well, as quickly as I can. Um, quickly, quickly. Bullet points. <laughs> I started. Well, I started blogging on the Cowboys in 1995. Wow. Um, as I tell people, I was blogging before the term existed, and I don't think the term existed then. Mm. Um, I, I answered a, a call for a, a Cowboys website out of Dallas called uh, theboys.com, and they were looking for a writer, and I was living in Wisconsin at the time, strangely enough. I was going to grad school and, you know, fascinated, you know, followed the team. Uh, the team had gone through their 1-15 and 15 season the year I, I moved up there, and I felt kind of detached from Texas, detached from the team. I was living in Packers land, and this was, I thought, was a chance to, you know, talk to other Cowboys fans about the team. And I'd been pretty active in the Usenet world way back then on – um, chat groups and such. And so I knew that, uh, uh, like all .NET, Dallas Cowboys and places like that. And, and I thought, Hey, I could do this. So the money was good. Um, the money was amazing actually way back then. And, you know, I would luck into the fact that I started writing and covering and, and or doing break pregame breakdowns, midweek breakdowns and postgame breakdowns. I think I was doing three stories a day back then. And Cowboys won the Super Bowl in 1995, so that really um, bumped up my numbers, and then we business. did it again in 96. <laughs> 90, 96, which was, if you remember, was really the hell year, um, kind of the, the the arrests and the suspensions yeah, and the right. fault accusations, and um, it's tough to, that was a tough year to write about the team, and um I moved on, you know, I got married that year, I was starting my career, and I kind of fell out of it, and about... 2005, I kind of got the itch again, and uh, Raul Villaronga, who'd helped me work at theboys.com in the mid-90s, was still running the site, and I remember contacting him in 2005 and saying, hey, I'm looking around, I was doing Google searches for Cowboys blogs, I didn't see any, and I was stunned. I thought, really? Nobody's doing this? That's crazy. uh, Yeah, so... So I said, "Hey, you want to you want to get the band back together?" And he said, "Sure, I've got a site you can host it." And and off we went. And you know, it was fun, and the audience kind of grew up. And you know, to go way back, you know, my my interest in this was really kind of kindled by 
a frustration with the quality of a lot of the sports writing, especially at yeah. training camp now. You know, we're all used to people blogging and people live casting. And, you know, it was a different time back then Mm -hmm. that, you know, we were in the newspaper era. And if you got any of the major state papers, the Houston papers, San Antonio paper, even the Dallas papers, you know, the Dallas papers would be more in depth. But they always had a synopsis of the day and it looked like a press release from the Cowboys <laughs> PR team and, and and one day when I was still at St. Ed's I was attending camp at St. Ed's I, I found out why is at the end of practice the PR director would walk out with a stack of press releases and all the scribes would go and take them and <laughs> lo and behold it's like and, and I thought oh no wonder they all look the same because I was a junkie I was a news junkie, you know, and I would buy three or four papers a day, different ones to try to get different crumbs and follow the team. And so it made and then it all started to make sense. And I just thought this is so inadequate. You know, you'd get the attendance and you'd get the catch of the day or the tackle of the day. And I thought, like, there's so much more going on here. And so for me, the whole blogging process was just a matter of kind of a, a football junkie and a news junkie saying, you know what, I, I want to teach myself the game better and <laughs> let's see if we can, you know, if other people are interested in taking the journey and, you know, it just kind of took off. That's, I mean, I, I gotta say, I, I, it feels very familiar. I mean, I, I know your story and, 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 and we've talked before, obviously, but it's funny hearing you say it now because it feels and sounds a lot like how I got into all this. Like, I very much stumbled into it, you know, just on Twitter. And it, it was a different means, you know, different eras, I think, when, when, when all of this kind of started for each one of us. But it's funny because it's it both grew out of a desire for better quality coverage of the team because you knew that there was more information there, you know? And so right. I just think that that's... Uh, right. And, and so, yeah, the, the blogging's funny enough... Um, I'd been doing it for a few months and, you know, I'd managed, and I don't want to give too many names away, but managed actually to make some some friends in the business yeah. who were kind of talking to me on the side and saying, hey, this is interesting, would pass me a bit of data here and there. And, you know, camp was coming up and, and we were all, and I knew I had, you know, uh, um, kindred spirits who all shared my frustration. It's like, this is going to be terrible. Uh, you know, we're going to see these same kind of bloodless, bare bones, ticky tack kind of high profile stories. And, and I just got the idea, said, Hey, you know, I'll go, I'll cover camp. If you guys will, uh, help me out. And I put a little, I forget what it's called. Like a go fund. It's whatever the GoFundMe account was in 2005. And, and, and out of, I was stunned. The generosity of my readers let me kind of buy a plane ticket and, and rent a hotel for a week. And, you know, back then Bill Parcells was the head coach. You talk about a confluence of happy accidents. You know, if you go to camp now, it's, it's a very different, you go every year, you know how, how, what a circus Opsnard has become, but when Bill was running the team, you know he he, it was his show, and he didn't let Jerry do all of the stuff with the cheerleaders and the sidelines and and whatnot. It was all football, and he wasn't trying to bring in big crowds. And and as as somebody who was starting out in the blog world, it was it was heaven. And I you know try to describe it. And you go just imagine this. Um, it was back in the day of two a days, and Oxnard. 
in the morning when they'd have morning workouts, you know, their mm-hmm. Oxnard's right by the ocean. It's beautiful. About in the 30 miles yeah. north of, of LA. And so they'd start and it'd be cool. It'd mm-hmm. be in the high 60s, the low 70s. Fog is rolling Cloud in off the Pacific yeah. Ocean. Yeah. Right. And here's this team on the field. And I swear to you, there might be there might have been 300 people there. Yeah. So and and the fences are I mean, you are standing. You will never be closer. <laughs> and even with what, whatever Jerry's done, I still urge fans to go because you will never be closer to the Cowboys than you will at, at Oxnard. I mean, you are standing in arm's reach of these guys. You can see, really understand how big they are and how fast they are. And so when it's lit, it is sparse like that, you could wander around to one field, to another field. You could hear all the chit-chat between the players mm-hmm. and the fans. I mean, it was just... If you're into football, that was that was football heaven for yeah. me. I mean, it's still on. It's still great. You know, I haven't been in a couple of years because I've had work conflicts and I miss it. But it's, it's different. That was that was like the me the ultimate Cowboys experience, and I, I do wonder if we'll ever get that again. I, as I, will, I, I do say that I, I you know. I think the first few years that I started going, probably they certainly weren't close to what you probably are describing with Parcells for sure. But I, I will say that like the first few years I was going, and especially if you're going in the morning, you know, like a morning practice, they, they still have them sometimes. But um, yeah, you, it's 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 wondrous. It's it's it is magical, yeah. kind of. It's because you're. It's like you're just out of practice. It's not. It, it, I've gone a couple times, and it's it's always an event now. Even the the during the week mornings, it's it's an event. But I I still think that there were times when you would go my first few years, and there would be. I don't know, maybe thirty people there, and it's like, yeah, and, 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 and you're just right up on the, and you, and it's you hear the conversations that the coaches are having mm-hmm. with their players, like you hear what they're saying, and oh, yeah, yeah, that's and, and, that's that's just gold for people like you and I. I mean, that's just and, absolutely. And I could spin lots of stories, but you know, I I, I remember once, and I'll just tell one please, or no, two. Please do, please. But I, I remember Parcells getting mad at Chris Canty one year. This is his rookie year. This was in 05. and. Um, over his lack of effort and he Parcells got right up in his face and Parcells is a big guy you know Chris Canty was 6'5 and he put his face right up at Chris Canty's face mask and he moved he he puckered his lips and he shook his head from side to side he goes you putting lipstick on him you putting lipstick on him is that what you're gonna do and and you know where else? And you could hear every word. You know, yeah. this is this was beautiful. And yeah. and you know, later on, and it tells you a lot about the players too, because this was also it was that great '05 draft class, class. class, and Kevin Kevin Burnett was part of that. And I guess Kevin was on the special teams and having some difficulty picking up some of their signals or some of their some of their counts and Bruce DeHaven was the special mm-hmm. teams coach that year and he Bruce was an old guy but he was a good special teams coach he used to walk around with this weird contraption he had this kind of shoulder harness where he had a boom box two like boom boxes hung from the back of it so he had a little mic on his mouth so he could yell orders without having to yell because he would just amplify his uh, voice. Wow. And he was standing next to Burnett and he said, OK, Kevin, we're going to do this on the count of three. 
and then he stops for pauses for a second and he looks back at him he goes that's the number after one and two (laughs) (laughs) so you got an inkling of where where this was going or how how his how you want an early perception of the players like oh that's interesting you know so Um, and, and where else are you going to get that? I mean, I've, I've gone to camp, at, you know, when they were at the Alamo Dome, and I imagine what it's going to be like when at the Star now. But at those venues, the, the sidelines were, are now were for, for VIPs yes. and groups. And if you're a fan, you're sitting up in the stands, and that has its benefits because you're up in the air. Mm-hmm. And if they're doing passing drills and things, you can probably see a little bit better. But... Boy, you know, when you're at, when you're at Oxnard and you and you can reach out and touch these guys if you wanted to. So you probably don't want to, but you <laughs> literally, if you wanted to, you could. You could. And just be able to hear it and and the hit and the it, you can hear the teaching. To me, that's what I really yeah. value. You can hear each position coach and and really get a flavor for how they how they teach. Yeah, the, so. there's there's a I'm not a huge baseball fan. But the thing I like about baseball is that when you go to a game, there's like a, I don't want to say like tactile element, but it's like, you know, the sound of the bat cracking and the smell of fresh cut grass, like that is all very, like, it's it's very immersive, I guess. is the, and, and I think training camp provides a football equivalent of that in a way that going to a game yeah. doesn't, you know. Uh we have a specific talk topic that we are going to talk about, but before we, we talk about running backs and, and one of the reasons I wanted to get you on here, since we're talking about about training camp, what what is what is something that you're looking forward to this season? Because you and I spoke a little bit offline, and we're saying that I, this could really be one of the more interesting years for training camp in our recent yeah. memory. What, yeah, give me, give me some just, of your thoughts. The base talent going in um, is is so high. I mean, it's the highest probably. I mean, I, I don't want to spend too much in a long time. Let's yeah. just leave it at that. Yeah. And and it you know there have there's still positions that always seem to be um, upgradable, shall we say? You know, safety. Um, but there are not many of them. And when you stop and you look at it and you say, "Wow, it's really been a while since." I can look at uh, starting 22 and maybe those key four or five situational players and say, hey, they've, they check a lot of the boxes. And for me, there's uh, kind of, I guess, an old and a new story. If I was going to camp, the, I would probably – I mean, I spend a lot of time when I'm there hanging around the offensive linemen anyway, just – I don't know. That's what I played when I played. And, 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 you know, I always seem to gravitate and start my camps watching those guys for a few, too. few days. But if I was going this year, I would really want to zero in on Travis Frederick and see mm-hmm. how his recovery is doing because, you know, they had a good year last year and Joe Looney was a godsend as his backup and just played his guts out. But Travis Frederick is a is a when he's healthy and he's on his A game is just a whole different level of player and and they missed him last year the running game missed him, Dak Prescott missed him having him keep the middle of the pocket clean and you know if I want to see if he looks like the old Travis Frederick because if he does 
you know, given the, the rest of the line that they've been able to retain and, you know, the youngsters that they've got coming in, you know, the guard they got in the draft from Penn State, it, it's that unit, you know, when they were really good two years ago was was really good. And it's the last two years, it's kind of suffered from injury and attrition and free agency. And, you know, you always thought, especially last year, God, if they still had that 2016 bunch with this set of skill positions with Amari Cooper, with the defense, yeah. you know, the Cowboys have a defense now, the best defense probably, I don't know, we've got to go back to the Wade Phillips years. Yeah. Um, so... You know, the Cowboys have certainly in the Jerry years have been an offense first bunch and Wade and Parcells kind of turned that in the in the late 90s when they were competitive. And it's you know they kind of it all kind of fell apart, but they started rebuilding the offensive line and they made that offense in 2014 and 2016 really good. And the defense was solid. And now the defense looks better than solid. And. You know, so the the news story on me is I want to I want to see Tristan Hill because, you know, it looks like they've got, you know, right between Robert Quinn and Demarcus Lawrence and, you know, hopefully Randy Gregory. Mm -hmm. They've got some numbers and depth and and, and what they're missing is that guy who can crack a pocket from the inside. And if he's that guy, then then, you know, you you cross your fingers and your toes and say, wow, really, this this could be this could be special. So this could be a fun year. So. Those are the two I would start with. There are I, many others, but that's where I'd begin. I think that's I think that's a good list. Um, let's transition to uh, the uh, the meat of the of the of the situation. There has been a the situation at hand, the which bane I, it, of the off season, whatever you want to call it, it has become. Uh, uh, and it's so funny because it, I, I feel like it's becoming an ongoing joke between Marcus and I. Um, it feels like every episode he's like, I, I, I really don't want to talk about running backs anymore. <laughs> and then we end up talking more and more about running backs. And maybe that's why he's not here is that he refused to talk about running backs again. So, um, but uh, it's the, the fire. I'm, I'm, the guest, I'm the guest running back. Yeah, he, they, 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 the, the, the pitcher, the manager, you know, signal to the bullpen, give me the lefty. And, uh, and then you, you come trotting out, you know, and all warmed up. So, uh, <laughs> we'll see. I, you know, I, I hear the, thing is is that uh, you know the the part of this whole problem is that i feel like everyone's kind of arguing past each other and there's and, and everyone's kind yeah. of also having a different argument uh and, and right. so, sometimes i and see so landed there's so many different ways you can pose oh, the question yeah. and 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 you can you can make people angry just by tweaking one word because really you can ask this question four or five different ways so uh, let's absolutely. talk about them all yeah so i i, I think you know to me, the main crux of the argument, the, or at least the, the the main branch of the argument, is is about the replaceability of running backs. And and I think obviously the reason it's specific to the Cowboys is because Zeke is in a contract, you know, or is is getting in a contract situation. Let's say um, of indeterminate <laughs> direness, I would say. Uh, so I guess the the question now becomes like. 
then from there it branches off in a bunch of different directions. What's the historical mm-hmm. value of, of the running back? What's the value of, of Zeke to this team? Does the do the Cowboys need an elite running back to be kind of? Uh, is that part of their quote unquote identity? And do they have to have that in order to have success? So I guess like you know. Where and I, you know, I noticed that you've been <laughs> you've been noticeably silent on Twitter about you know about it, or at least it feels like you've been waiting on the I, sideline. I've been trying really hard to avoid it because it's you know you could get into a food fight every day about <laughs> sure. this topic, and it feels like um, it feels like I wade into it almost but, every day. But, but where where would you like yeah, to insert and, yourself and, into this at this point? You know, I, and I did I did it uh, probably right at the end of the season or at the beginning of the off season, and people were arguing. Um, about his irreplaceability. I think that's where it starts. Sure. And one thing I noticed is that a lot of people argue that the team would collapse without him, or that he's an elite back. And and let's you know let's begin like we should begin all good arguments and debates. Let's define our terms. Okay, he's he is an elite back. Yes, and there's no question about that. And I no one disputes that. Um, but. To me, you know, hearing people say they've got to sign him no matter what is, for me, as a longtime Cowboys fan, um, it may, it, I just shook my head and I said, no. I mean, I'm going to address some of your points. Running back has always been a part of this team's identity, always. Um, now, you know, when they got started, it was a running back era, yeah. the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, even the 80s, and even the, the, the Emmett Smith 90s. The NFL has now transitioned to a heavy passing game, and the Cowboys have transitioned to a heavy passing game. But they've always made uh, a strong running attack part of their identity, and they've always had – I mean, let's go back to Don Perkins, you know, when he started, when he was drafted in the early 60s. He was a he was a fullback and he was an atypical fullback. And he was he was small, but he was quick and he was fast and he could pop through a hole. And, you know, back then when they played with a split backfield, the fullback was oftentimes right behind the quarterback, really close to the line. You know, you think of the old like Larry Zonka highlights where you you pivot and you pop him the ball and he takes two steps and he's into the line and so um perkins was a speed fullback and he would kind of hide and you know he doesn't get a lot of attention one because you know how many cowboys fans were watching in the 60s and that's also when the game was you know just becoming the national pastime and it was tv was embracing it but when he retired around 1969 he was the third leading running back or third leading rusher in nfl history which is kind of crazy you know um he's he's in the ring of honor for a reason yeah and you know they had him and they had dan reeves and then when they kind of knew i think around 68 dan reeves blew out a knee and perkins was getting old and they they turned over their entire backfield, entire backfield right yeah yeah, and they, they drafted Walt Garrison and they drafted Calvin Hill and Hill made became their tailback in sixty nine and he was the NFL offensive rookie of the year and he made the Pro Bowl and things looked great. And then, you know, the next year they drafted Dwayne Thomas and 
And so, you know, the thinking was, you know, Hill had hurt himself, laid it, I think it hurt a foot, and there was some concern about whether he'd be fully healthy, so they had to have a running back. So here's the second consecutive year they spend a first on a running back, and it turns out they were both healthy and they were both really good. But Thomas became the guy. And, you know, Dwayne Thomas was stunningly good. And, you know, they went to a Super Bowl the two years that he was with the team. And if you've seen the America's team highlights and, you know, I was I was lucky enough to run into the two of them in 2008 at camp. One day they were on standing on the sidelines together and I got to talk to Dwayne Thomas for 30 minutes. And um, one of the most bizarre and, and interesting conversations I've ever had about everything. And we talked about football for about five minutes and we talked about art for about 30 minutes. Huh. But he's a, he's a he's an out there guy, but I don't want to get sucked into the tangent but the point was he was an elite running back probably the first elite tailback this team had and you know this is fodder for another bar argument for another day i think he's the best running back the cowboys have ever had wow Um, that's a statement and but he was gone after two years he got Mm -hmm. into you know he was having off-field problems he was having a contract dispute with with Tech Schramm and the Cowboys after you know the, he, that infamous year where they won the Super Bowl in 71 and he didn't talk to the press and he never spoke to his teammates and he was just a he was just an oddball and they got rid of him you know you talk talk about letting letting an elite talent walk they they first they tried to trade him and they got him back and then they ended up trading him again and what do they do? You know, they spent another first round pick and they drafted a guy named Bill Thomas who blew out his knee his rookie year and never played for them. But, you know, they didn't suffer. They moved Hill back to tailback and he made the Pro Bowl three, three years in a row. And he leaps for the World Football League. And he, okay, so here we're looking at, you know, a ring of honor player who retires. Here's a, an elite running back who uh, is dismissed for off-field reasons. And here's a Pro Bowl running back. Um, Calvin Hill signed with the World Football League, which was that short-lived rival to the NFL in the mid-70s. So after the 74 season, when he's had three Pro Bowl seasons, he walks on the team. And they don't have a running back for the first time in 10 years. All right? So we're doing our little math, like when have they lost – uh, an elite back. Well, here they've lost two of them mm-hmm. in the span of two years. And they, this and be, let's so be clear, they, like they have not, from 68 until 70, oh, 74? So I like, think from 65 but, I mean, till 70, 75, they had at least one elite, a uh, Pro but, Bowl level running back. But my point is, is they also won, even despite changing, going through that turnover, they never lost, they never lost, they never, they won more than 10 games each one of those years. Like right. those, they were, right. they were, they had double-digit wins each one of those years, despite cycling through the backfield like that. Right, but you can see how what the priority placed on it because they yeah. kept spending ones to fill the position, yes. and they hit, and they hit. Know, That's, and, that, know, that, but, that was, I guess, my point. Yeah, see, they're hitting. But you can see though a drug problem, a contract problem, uh, a rival league, an injury. You know. There are lots of reasons a player walks besides a contract dispute or being undervalued. And every time it hit the Cowboys, they just they reloaded. And, you know, it's funny, the two years finally in 75 and 76, we we started 1965 and come to the present day. Let's go 55 years. 
those are the first two seasons when that span where they don't have a real top level running back. Yeah. And what happens in 1975 when Doug Dennison and Preston Pearson are their running black running back platoon? They go to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and they almost win it. They just you know? barely lost. And they lost barely. You know, yeah. there were one Percy Howard mistimed jump from <laughs> winning the Super Bowl. And the next year it hurt them. You know, they yeah. had a good team. They lost to the Rams in the divisional playoff, and they knew it. They're like, we went, we kind of took the risk. You know, they're still using Dennison. They had Robert Newhouse as a fullback, but they, they didn't have the explosive guys. So the next year they spent the money and the draft picks and everything else, and they flipped four picks, and they got Tony Dorsett. Some guy named Anthony Probably Dorsett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Tony Dorsett, as he was known when he was Dorsett, drafted. Dorsett, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And pro- problem solved for, you know, 11 seasons. Mm-hmm. And you've got a Hall of Famer, right? Bonafide Hall of Famer in your backfield. And he plays and he plays and he plays and he wears down a little bit at the end of his year. But people forget that in 1985, while Tony's D is still going pretty well, they, they managed to, you know, they spent a futures pick, I think it was in 83, on some guy from Georgia named Herschel, Herschel Walker. Walker. <laughs> yeah, and then he comes when and he goes off to the rival league, the USFL, and he actually plays for Donald Trump's team. Um, that's a name everybody should know. And yeah, I heard him. He comes back to the NFL in 1985 and plays with Dorsett for a couple of years. And this is kind of, you know, the bells and the whistles, Thomas and Hill again. And so the Cowboys and Herschel has 1,500 yard seasons. In fact, the year that Tom Land- it all fell apart for Tom Landry, Tom's last season in 1988, Herschel runs for 1,500 yards. Mm-hmm. And he's a pro bowler. And, you know, he's, we all know the story, he's the, he's the, the catalyst to the re- Jimmy Johnson's rebuild because he gets traded to the Vikings next year. And so we get to 75, 76, 1989, no running back. You know, Paul Palmer is the Cowboys running back. But what? Like, the even, whole team was terrible. Yeah, they, they didn't won get 500 game. yards out of him, I don't think. You, you can't was, point to the running back and saying, well, they lost because they didn't have a good running back. They lost because they didn't have anybody they on were that terrible. team. They that, 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 that roster is, I mean, as ba- as good as the 90s, late 90s roster, the mid-90s roster was when they won the Super Bowl, that, that 89 roster was every bit as bad. Right. So in, in 1990, what happens? They draft another Hall of Famer. They get some guy named Emmett Smith who plays for plays well, you know, carries them through those awful Dave Campo years. <laughs> and it's still actually, I think, until his final season with them, which was the last Campo season in 2002, Emmett was getting a, at least a thousand yards, even when the team around him was falling apart. He was still getting twelve thousand eleven hundred. 1,200, sorry, 1,200, 1,100 yards. So um, you might say that Emmett's last year with them, they had a name running back, but he wasn't a real top. He wasn't he wasn't the Emmett of old. And then, you know, the first, the first year that Parcells took over, he didn't, that was the Troy Hamburg year, right? Yep. Um, so that's another year. So what are we up to now, four seasons? We're, and we're into the odds now. Not many seasons where they don't have a top-level back. And and Parcells takes a real different approach in that he, he goes for running back by committee, but he gets some good backs. He gets uh, Julius Jones, who had 
the thousand yard season and he gets Marion Barber right and he plays the two of them together and you look at them in those years they were combining for 1600 yards between them yeah. which is what an elite back like Emmett Smith would get and it's funny if you go back and look at Emmett in his glory days Emmett had 90 95 percent of the carries Emmett would run for 15 1600 yards and his backup weight might get like 150 you yeah. know <laughs> so nothing. if you look at combined combined production um Jones and Jones and uh, uh, Barber were um, combined for elite production. This just did it differently. And then, you know, when when Wade Phillips replaces Parcells, they draft Felix Jones to pair with Barber. They let Julius Jones walk. You know, there you go. But they draft another Jones and they draft a Shark Choice and they put those three. Everybody remembers. I hated yeah. the term, but people remember the three headed monster. monster. And they would, I mean, there are years, I went back and looked at it, I forget, like 07, 08, where those three guys had 1,900, 2,000 yards between the three of them. They had a good running attack. So, you know, it's not with the one guy, but the two or the three guys worked really, really well. So, um, you know, it falls apart for them, falls apart for Wade, and it falls apart for... um, um, for for Jason Garrett and I, actually I think that's the Troy Hambrick I miss I'm missing time the one year that that Parcells didn't have a running back actually that was Daryl Clack I believe it was um, miss let's let's get our our mediocre back straight here yeah exactly <laughs> we walk through history okay so we're we're into the modern era and you know Jason Garrett very quickly gets his hands on Demarco Murray yep I think one year so we're up to like what five seasons and we're all now into the 2010s. Yeah. Only five seasons without a really good running back. And Murray is excellent for four years. And, you know, they don't use him that much. And then if you recall, I remember having this debate when I was still writing every day that in 2014, which was his final season, he had 1,100 yards the season before, and he was entering the final year of his contract. And the Cowboys were good that year. They were 12-4. and four. That's the, the Des caught it year. You know, rest in peace, 2014 mm-hmm. Cowboys. Yep. Um, but he had 1,800 yards that year and almost 400 carries. And I think what the team decided, and you might remember this, if you were looking at, and there was the debate that we're having now: Are they going to keep Murray? Are they going to oh, let him yes. walk? Oh. He's good. <laughs> I was, I was in that argument every day. <laughs> right, and so, and, and you got, you got your tell about a third of the way through the season where. They suddenly started giving him the ball like 30, mm-hmm. 32 times a game. And we started looking at it and saying, they're going to burn him out. And then you kind of – they did it a couple more games and you thought, they're going to burn him out. And you stopped you thought like, oh, wait a minute. I get it. They don't care. They're going to let him walk. They're going to run him into the ground because they don't need him next – they're not going to need him next year because they're not going to pay him. And sure enough, what do you have? Oh, 392 carries. Mm-hmm. Emmett Smith never carried that much in a season ever. Um, eighteen over eighteen hundred yards. You remember there was a time where people thought could he hit two thousand? So yeah, we thought for sure yeah. he would. I mean, at one point, like he was at least three quarters of the way of the season. I thought for sure that he was going to hit that two thousand yard mark. Right. So they let him walk, in, oh. and in twenty fifteen, everybody now knows that that's the Darren McFadden year. Mm-hmm. And so what's that now? Six seasons out of fifty. Where they don't have a, a good running back, 
and and, and of course the next year they saw yeah. oh well here comes Elliot here's Elliot and you know Elliot strangely enough is in that place I was thinking about this because I remember this and you probably remember this you know when Emmett Smith came in as a rookie in 1990 he had a, his rookie contract was a three-year deal and 90 91 92 of course they win the Super Bowl his final year of his rookie contract and they come into 93 and he threatens a holdout as Ezekiel Elliott's apparently doing now and and he wants to be the highest paid running back in the game and Jerry's you know the salary cap has already been announced it hasn't come into play yet but it's going to go into play in 1994 and Jerry's got this young team youngest team in the league and it's loaded and I think he knows if I give up too much to this guy, I'm not going to be able to keep everybody else. And you think he, he had everything kind of gamed out to where if I can get him for a little less of market value, that'll let me – I can tie everybody else's contract to his and maybe I can keep more of this team together and they won't poach me in 1994 and five when all their rookie deals come up. Well, I mean we know the story, right? They're the defending Super Bowl champs and – Emmett's, Emmett holds out and he misses all the training camp and he's not there week one and he's not there week two and the offense looks terrible and they're 0-2, right? And and you see if you remember this, like I remember like every football show at that time, you know, when they were going down week two, they lost to the Bills at home. It was a Super Bowl rematch. And when they lost it, every ESPN, NBC, all the networks, no – no team has ever won the Super Bowl mm-hmm. after starting the season 0 and 2, and so they were. Everybody was, you know, the, the press was hyping that they're let's write off the Cowboys. And Jerry buckled, and he, you know, the, the, on that Monday, Emmett Smith comes back to camp and he signs his deal. He comes back to um, Valley Ranch and he signs his deal, and he is the highest paid running back. And boom, history repeats itself, and they win. They go on and they win the Super Bowl again. And you know, I think maybe Elliot is looking at that as kind of a model for how to game this. Now, um, I guess what I don't know is where, when is he planning the holdout? But okay, but we've got Elliot. Let, let me. Uh, I kind of got off track. Let's go back over this. I went from 1965 to 2018. 54 seasons of football, and there's only six of those seasons where the Cowboys didn't have a Pro Bowl level running back in their stable at least one yeah that's and, that's and a long what that time. tells me is that you know two of those guys were hall of famers um pro bowlers like hill and murray and you know marion barber for a couple of years before he broke down they've had lots of good running backs and we haven't even talked about fullbacks which is a whole other stable of great players and um you know it didn't matter whether gil brandt was calling the shots it didn't matter whether parcells or jimmy johnson or jerry 1.0 with the larry lacewell guys or jerry 2.0 now with Will McClay was calling the shots. They've always been able to deal with losing a top-level running back. So to go back to that argument that I, uh, you know, struggle to stay out of on Twitter every day, if for some reason injury, contract holdout, off-season issue, heaven forbid, um, were to take this guy away from the team, history tells me they'd find a way to replace him. So... 
as I, much as I like, I love having him on the team, as much as I agree with everybody else that he's an elite running back, I'm not, I don't lose any sleep worrying about them losing him because I have confidence that if it happened, they could turn the page. Now, that said, as you said, let's go back to the beginning. There are lots of questions. Yeah. Is he replaceable? That's the question. I'd say yes. But here's the other question. I guess it's the bigger one. They're tied together. They're tied to that. Will they extend him? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they don't – they have 20 – he's under contract for 2019. And they have an option for 2020 at rather cheaply. I think it's $9 million. So the Cowboys can get two good years out of him. I think the big decision comes later. If he wants to hold out, so be it. But – yeah, I, it, I, it, I, I, it, go ahead. I was going to say, I, 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 I wonder if I, I personally don't believe the report that says that he's thinking about. I think it's a, a bad idea for him to hold out this year, um, just because. I mean, what's he's going to end up getting in anyways? He he can't miss until August, and he's going to lose if he actually tries to miss any time. He'll lose the opportunity to toll a year, and I, I just don't. I just generally don't believe the report, but the. Well, I do think that it's there's still validity because I think there if things don't move soon I do I do believe that there will be you know that kind of behavior that kind of trouble in the future with him and so the right. conversation is is prescient still I think it still matters sure but I I really think this is a conversation for next summer not this summer but yes um, I agree I, I mean I, I think this I mean we're just kind of I guess greasing the wheel at this point, and and it is it is a conversation yeah, and, that's and, happening right now. Like it's not like sure, sure. But this team is so loaded. I mean, let's look at that '93 example I gave of Emmett's holdout. Okay, this team hasn't won a Super Bowl, but a lot of people think it can make a run at one this year. And so the dynamics. Let's say he holds out and he misses two games, and they're zero and two. You know, he's going to be seen in a very different light in 2019 from the one Emmett Smith was seen and viewed through in 1993, which is everybody looked at Emmett and said, hey, he's proved his point. This team won the Super Bowl with him, and now they're losing without him. Jerry, pay him the money. Yeah. And now I think if they if that happened this year, people would look at him and say, hey, Elliot, this team has a chance, and you're the guy who's getting in the way. <laughs> you know, it That's could blow point. up in his face that way because they haven't won the Super Bowl, you know. They don't have that goodwill with the fans. Yeah. So it's it's a dicey thing, and that's why I don't think it's going to happen this year. But also, let's do the let's put on the prediction hats, right? Because yeah. that's what everybody wants to do. My gut tells me that when push comes to shove, Stephen and Jerry will find a way to extend him. I don't think they want him to leave. I don't um, think so either. And you know, if he has another great year, I'm fine with it. I'm I'm okay with a second contract. Well, I'd have to see what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the whole thing is that I, I the the problem is is my issue with all of this is that I, I can I just get some nuance? Like I mean, my whole yeah. thing is that the, the it's everyone's making these sweeping generalizations of, not even just about this situation but about running backs in general, and it's so it's like I, I you know I think that I love the way that you're you're laying this out because uh, to me I agree it's like. 
well, you know, well, I feel like I'm fighting both sides a lot because both yeah. sides are just so extreme with their takes about these these things. I'm sure. like, well, yeah, yeah, no, guys, that that's not necessarily that, but but oh wait, no, 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 uh, you, I don't necessarily want to go that far. You know, it's it's so it's now it's this kind of finding the 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 well, truth also, in the middle there somewhere that no one seems to be looking for in the in the yeah, wide and, gap and, between and, the two, you know, beliefs. And this- this hypothetical depends on another hypothetical, which is, you know, everybody knows that Cooper's contract is coming up and everybody knows that um, Prescott's contract is coming up. So everybody's wondering, can they keep the new triplets together? Right. So the, the other question is, if you can only keep two, which two do you keep? You know, and that's how I and I think that's a fair question, because these are three high, high, high ticket positions and you know if if i had to choose between those three i would say a quarterback and and receiver just because this team has had such horrible trouble filling those positions when they don't have one as where i've just pointed out to you they haven't had that problem filling the running back position whenever it's exactly I, i completely agree with that and then suddenly when you say that the guys turn around and said why don't you want to resign zeke and i'm like that's not what I just said. <laughs> like, I mean, it's that's the thing is, is that sure, it's like I, it, it's it's more just the presenting, arguing the point that's being made at the time. If you're asking me whether I should resign Zeke, give me the particulars of what the deal are. Like, if you're asking me, you know, I, I think every everyone just kind of constantly forgets that all of this is tied together. So the particulars yes. matter. Like my decision on my personal decision on whether it was a, something was a good or good idea or not really greatly depend on the details of the situation. So right. Well, it's, well, it's like saying, are you going to buy this wonderful house? You you have a deal on it, and it's, are you buying a house? Yeah. Yes or no? <laughs> but you know, but if, let's say let's say the house that you've wanted suddenly comes on the market, and it's. And, you know, the the owner's distressed and you're like, man, I can get this. It's a steal and I've had my eye on it. And, okay, that's a great question. Should I take it or not? Well, I've wanted it. It's cheap, right? But what are you making, right? Are you – are you is your kid sick uh right you know are are you changing jobs you know there are yes. other factors in and that we are, don't that's what we don't know about elliot what are the other factors that are going to be in play with this concept? and again like i'll give you another and we can transition to another part of this argument is that you know i i made this argument with somebody and i think i brought it up on the podcast earlier in the week where i am 100 percent on board with not planning not making a plan around the exception to the rule. But on the other side of that, I'm also not ex- ignoring the fact that the exception to the rule exists, you know, and that and that Ezekiel Elliott is a, a very special back, which very much changes the calculus on whether or not I feel comfortable giving him a second contract. You know, people, well, people comparing it to the Murray situation when Murray was literally five years older than than Zeke is currently and and both of them having completely different injury histories and just a, a whole myriad of different other variables that are completely different and it's 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 just a completely different situation so I just think that for me yes there are, have been a lot of recent running backs that have failed to live ex, up to expectations on their second contract. What makes me feel confident that the Elliot could be the exception to the rule is I feel like 
Elliott is an exceptional running back. Not to get you know semantical on it, but right. But but also, and let's you know let's give history a vote in this. You know, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen in 2019. And you know, here's a hypothetical straight out of the 2018 Pittsburgh Steelers playbook. All right, let's say. Hypothetically speaking, Ezekiel Elliott has a high ankle sprain in week two and he has to miss six games. Okay. And let's say in those six games, Tony Pollard goes nuts. Mm -hmm. Everybody's mind is going to be, you know how fickle the fan base is. You know, when when Zeke comes back, you know, half of these people who say he's, he's irreplaceable will probably be screaming to let him go. You know, yeah. <laughs> if you watch this team long enough, you know that, that that people really like to jump on the latest thing. So when the reality is that likely that is being completely skewed by the fact that defenses won't play Tony Pollard the same way that they play Ezekiel Elliott. They'll 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 play back. They don't they'll stop Cooper and Dak more than they will Zeke if more than they will Pollard. But if Zeke gets back on the field. That he's getting most of the attention, so their numbers may look like, oh, well, they're performing at the same level, when at the same when they may not necessarily be, you know, and, and right. not that that not that that is discounting sure. what you're saying, but the point is, is that there's nuance all the way around. Sure, and, 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 and arguments not being there's there's very little nuance. Everything will come down to how many games did they win in those six of those six? Mm-hmm. How many did they lose? Yeah. Exactly. That always dictates it. Yeah. So it's just like when people are judging Dak on his performance without Zeke, and just completely ignoring the fact that Tyron Smith also missed, the, you know, a, a good portion of that same time. And that if you look at, if you actually look at the splits, it, not that I believe in player to player splits because I think that that's. Uh, you know, right. ludicrous. But just to prove the point, if you look at the splits with with and without Tyron Smith, without Zeke, there it's that's pretty shocking. So I just think that yeah, the 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 problem is is that you can do it this. I, I think that for me the, the argument is that you can do it this way or you can do it that way. It, I mean, it's. I don't think there's a hard, fast rule that is going to disqualify you along the lines of paying a running back. You know, right. I, I think I think you, you, you may you may not spend good money. You may get poo pooed for over overpaying a guy, but that's not going to disqualify you from the the you know making a playoff run or, or or you know this or this or that. I mean, I don't think it will be the deciding factor. I think you know this is a game of a thousand little cuts, and you know this will will be one of those. But it, it's not it's not the tipping point to me. And I think this is it's being argued. Like it is the tipping point to me. It, well, yeah, it's being argued in extremes, which yeah. is <clears throat> which is how Twitter operates. Yeah, that's so. true. That's fair. I guess my expectation <laughs> level is part of the problem here. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, let, let's one last thing before we go. Uh, if and when the Cowboys do play, pay. Uh, hopefully, they they will play Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott. Uh, what what do you feel like is the best way to maximize his value? Uh, I mean, do you do you feel like do you feel like they need to? So, I mean, I guess uh, let me put it this way: his first two years, it felt like you know they were basically running him a lot, and they were giving him the ball in the running. I, and I feel like there was a concerted effort last year to try to get him the ball in the passing game, but it also felt like the times that he was getting the ball, it was often you know the kind of 
uh, third and ten dump off. You know, they're trying to get something to to give up. Do you feel like they need to insert him into the passing game more to try to get more value out of him after they pay him? Do you feel like the idea is that they oh they sign him to a shorter deal? Uh, and then they just try to run him into the ground, a la you know, making it more like Murray, you know, get, approaching his his uh, new contract, except for three years down the road. Uh, what, what's uh, the know, best way to get the the most out of Ezekiel Elliott, in your opinion? That, that's a hypothetical that you know depends on something that's sight unseen right now. So I don't know that I can answer. Which is, what's Kellen Moore going to do? Hmm. What's his offense going to look hmm. like? Is he going to tweak? You know, they, they run the same – they've run the same core of a playbook since 2007, which is really the, the offense that they ran in the 90s. And each coordinator that's come in has added a piece to the running attack. If it's Bill Callahan or, you know, um, Linehan brought his pieces and Garrett had his favorites. But a lot of the core passing plays and sets and things that they want to do and the way they run the ball are really the same. And, you know, more was brought in and there's this promise of the new and everybody's trying to guess what it's going to be. But until we see it, I don't I don't know. So is he going to just stay with the same running attack? Is he going to you know, is he going to try to to ramify it, if you will, you know, kind of. It was a copycat league. Are we going to see some pieces of of the Rams playbook implemented? You know, they like to run the ball too, and they they run wide zone just like we do. Looks, you know, right? I, I feel like it wouldn't be difficult to. I mean, you know, they're a wide zone team, and that, that that's that's we run a lot of inside zone, wide zone. I mean, they they mixed in more man and power last year. I, I think I, I think. The, the 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 contribution to me, and this is what I've been saying all off season, and I, I I'm guessing just like everybody else, and I'm reading tea leaves that are you know have probably been poured over a couple different times, so they who knows how potent they are, uh, you know I, I I think that to me the system as people keep referring to it, um, I think it mostly stays the same, right? It's, it'll be still be Coriel based, you know, yeah, run schemes. I think they they will continue their same similar run schemes. I think the changes that are going to get made are how the personnel get deployed, how right. how you know what's happening pre snap. Is there more motion to kind of give the players a better look at what they're facing, you know? And I think stuff like being smarter about formations, running the ball out of passing formations, passing the ball out of running formations more, uh, being a little bit more, um, you know, uh, aggressive on first and second downs, or, or at least passing the ball more on first and second downs, not being a little bit be, being a little bit less predictable. I think these are all things that can greatly affect the outcome of your offense without, you know, necessarily, quote unquote, as just gets generally thrown around changing the system you know I, right I, I well think... and, and let's let's keep one thing in mind okay when we talk about changing the system um you know the new england patriots won the super bowl last year and i got to see them a lot in the second half of the season and certainly in the playoffs and i was quite surprised you know this is a team that is historically in the brady era run um um, with the spread, you know, three receivers as their base and 
Brady in the shotgun, you know, certainly since his knee injury. And, you know, you watch him last year and it's like, wow, it's like you went into a time warp or yeah. somebody took the triplets Cowboys and, and put him in a Patriots uniform. They were they had a true fullback. They ran a lot of two back sets. You know, they Bill Parcells, Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick went out and drafted, uh, you know, uh, Sony Michelle in the first round. He had a big time running back, which is very atypical for him. And it's kind of like, you know, the whole league zigged one way with with uh, you know the Rams and their look and 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 they're and they're gonna the tight formations and they're gonna fool you with pre snap looks and and. And Bill just went the other way and said, you know, if you're all going to do that, I'm, I'm going to go back to old school rock'em, sock'em, 90s football. Oh, yeah. And while you're working on that, I'm going to work on this. And, he, you know, they were running 160 yards a game all through the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. And so, yeah. you know, when you're a, a team like the Cowboys and you're like, hey, that's our playbook. A lot of their playbook they're using. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, so. It's to me – and I had this conversation with um, – Daniel Houston, who who does analytics, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter. He's at Cowboys uh, Stats, I think. Uh, and he, you know, he's he's a big analytics guy. And 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 my whole argument to him is that I think the one thing that you can look at if you just kind of do a large study on just scheme and and, and the NFL is not just the NFL in college and all this is that everything's cyclical. I mean, it's all coming and yeah. going, and everything's reactive to it, the other thing. And as soon as teams start figuring out the passing game, you know, someone's going to exactly what you talked about, zag and start running the ball. And, you know, you get out your 260-pound defensive tackle to rush the passer. That's great. I'm going to run the ball right back up your gut. And now suddenly you're going to get the 300-pound tackle, and now I'm going to start throwing the ball. It's just, you know, I mean, it's it's, it's that's what the way yeah. it's been since football was invented. So my whole take on this is that... But I think it goes back to what I'm saying is that there's there's many different ways to do this. I think you should find a way that you feel comfortable coaching, that you feel comfortable uh, getting into, uh, you know, getting a, a program involved and around and understanding the ins and outs of it. And, and, and you, you practice that, you teach that, uh, and you get the best players who fit that system. And then you get – you just – you – Go in and, and do your best to to, to 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 try to make the best team with the best fit of a specific scheme you can. I think that there's a certain amount of chasing the dragon that goes on that I feel like has been mostly unsuccessful for any coach not named Bill Belichick. You know, I, I think he is a once in a generation type coach, and I think Landry was like this to a certain degree. Lombardi, I mean, in in, in, the, in their eras, um, you know, Parce- I mean, uh, Bill Walsh, obviously, and and you know, guys like that who just who saw the game for where it was, and and, and I think we're probably just everyone was chasing them. You know, chasing their innovations, and I think that's where 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 Pars, uh, Belichick has been for now. But it's but if you're not those guys, your best opportunity, I think, is still to find a scheme that you understand that works for you, uh, and then get the best players that fit for that system the the, in a, the best way they can. And, and and you know, you can dress it up a little bit, and I think all of that will help. But at the end of the day, I I think you know. Trying to chase, trying to make major changes each year based on what the previous year's Super Bowl winner did is is fool's gold. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. And and you know, I just I just think that New England's success, the way they did it, you know, the people at Dallas can look at it and say, well, you know what, all our our offensive linemen and our running back, 
And, you know, Jason Witten's back, our tight end, our receivers fit this scheme. They were drafted for this scheme. And, okay, we, we have a new coordinator, and he as he can do those again, the incremental changes you, you suggested. But, you know, a lot of people look at the scheme and say, oh, time's passed it by. Well, that scheme just won a Super Bowl. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. I think we're going to have to leave it at that. Uh, Raf, thank you so much for joining me. Please, please come back and uh, join us again. There's so much to talk about, and uh, we always have a great time doing it. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Be happy to do it.